This is Album Worms. It's like a book club, but for albums. I'm Sean. And I'm Chris. And on this episode, we will be discussing Childish Gambino's album, Awaken My Love. Let's get started. Welcome to Album Worms. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Album Worms. Please take a moment and follow us on your favorite podcasting platform and follow us on Instagram at Album Worms. So, Chris, I actually had a chance to watch a music documentary. I saw Once We're Brothers, and that's about the the band. Have you seen that one? No, no, but I know which one you're talking about. So good. So good. You got to check it out. I, th- uh, I saw it on Hulu. So okay, nice. if you, if you find access to Hulu, you should, you should take the time to watch that one. Definitely. I've got it. Well, let's get into this week's episode, Chris, and welcome our very special guest, Mike Thompson. Welcome to the show. Welcome. Hi, everybody. I am really excited to have you on this show, Mike. I know uh, you kind of started a podcast like right when we were starting ours, so I was already kind of thinking about asking you to do a show and I heard your podcast and that you are managing some bands and I was uh, been waiting a while to get you on the show. So I'm happy that we're doing this. Yeah, it's awesome. It's like we're on the same wavelength. Yes. <laughs> and I, I love your podcast, by the way. It's called Black Man in the Right World and you do it with your roommate, Grant. Yes. Do you want to tell our listeners a little bit about your show uh sure yeah um he is white and i am black and we kind of always had these conversations about politics life entertainment because we're both writers and then we were like what if we record our conversations so that people (laughs) can see a conversation between uh two people who normally don't get to talk about these things in public so we created Black Man in the Right World, and now we're like 12 episodes deep and keeping yeah, it going. That's great. Yeah, it's so good, Chris. I know, I think I sent you a link. I don't know if you had a chance to check it out. You did. It's, it's in my queue. Yeah, it, it's so good. You, do, you Both of you do such a great job and tackle some really challenging topics with a lot of grace and thoughtfulness and it's a it's a great listen for those that are looking for another podcast to listen to yeah do check it out everyone <laughs> <laughs> well let's talk about the record for this week we're going to be discussing childish gambino's album awaken my love this is a little taste of that record this is his song boogeyman Great song, pretty pretty heavy topic, which I'm sure we'll get into, but I'm really glad that we're talking about this record. I'm excited to discuss this one with both of you today. Me too. Yeah. I was definitely dancing a little bit when that clip <laughs> yeah. was playing. Now, one you could definitely get a little groove to. I mean, this whole record, really, you can 
get a good groove to for the most part. It has so many different moods and ups and downs. So I'm looking forward to getting into the nitty gritty. So I have some album details for us to kind of get us a little bit familiar with uh, the record and for our listeners as well. This album was released on December 2nd, 2016. This is from the artist Childish Gambino, which is aka Donald Glover, which do y'all know how kind of Donald Glover got his start? No. Uh, well, I do know how he got his name. He got it from a Wu-Tang name generator. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that's great. So, so good. That That's such a funny way that he got this name. I actually, before I came on, I actually went to the Wu-Tang name generator and <laughs> typed in our names. So oh, I, have, great. <laughs> I have our rap names. You guys want to hear them? Yes. Okay. So Sean is going to be Profound Assassin. Ooh. Yes. Which yeah. is kind of cool, right? Yeah, that's really good. Yes, and then Chris, you are amazing artist. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, isn't that just that's so like just matter of fact? Yeah. And then <laughs> uh, I got amateur madman. So Ooh, they kind of like sound like those. job titles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So not oh, as cool man. as childish, but he tried. Maybe I'll, I'll ask my my coworkers to refer to me as that now. It's an intense name to have at the workplace. <laughs> uh, I think it fits for what, what I bring to the table. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Profound assassin. Yeah. Like the copy machine. <laughs> Co- constantly just mic dropping all over the place. <laughs> please don't. That that. Yeah. Don't drop your mic, Sean, please. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, so, you know, Donald Glover is a famous comedian, actor, writer. He, I mean, he has so much talent in one person. It's not fair. But do you know what his kind of first, kind of really first thing he got into the showbiz with? It was actually how I discovered him because uh, I'm like a big fan of improv and comedy i actually yeah. study it myself and uh, i found him from Derek comedy mm-hmm. so i was actually a fan of donald glover before i was a fan of childish gambino right and i think he started that while he was in college at nyu yeah and then he got a job writing for 30 rock oh yeah another dream of mine <laughs> well not for 30 yeah. rock doesn't exist anymore but <laughs> The re- the reboot, yeah, the reboot. So and then he so from Thirty Rock he went on to star in Community, then he went on to star in so many other things such as Lando Calrissian, which I really crossing my fingers we get more Donald Glover Lando Calrissian because he was so good in that role. Oh, he was perfect. So perfect. Yeah. He should get a standalone movie for sure. Yeah, I, I heard sure that they so. might. I heard that him and Billy D. I guess I heard there's a rumor that both of them are in talks with a potential Disney Plus series. I was like, I am good with that. Yep. Is there gonna be like time travel involved? Or? Oh man, <laughs> I I would hope so. <laughs> I mean, they kind of did time travel in Rebels, but 
that, that this is a different show topic, Star Wars. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I also hope that we get Donald also played Aaron Davis in Spider-Man Homecoming, which is in the comic books, Miles Morales's uncle. So I really hope that we get more of Aaron Davis in the MCU as well. Absolutely. He was like, he's a big Spider-Man fan. I think everybody yeah. wanted him to play the actual Spider-Man, but right. I mean, I'm happy enough that he got to be the voice of Miles and yes. that character yeah. in Homecoming. Yeah, there was like a huge petition to get him to be Spider-Man, which would have been amazing, would have been a better choice. And then also kind of more in the music world, John Favreau, hand-selected Donald Glover to be the voice of Simba in his remake of The Lion King as well. Yeah, that was a big win for me because Lion King is probably my favorite Disney movie ever. So to have Beyonce and Donald Glover as the main characters, I was like, okay, this is for me. Yes. Yeah. That, that was such... John Favreau is just so good at casting. And then, so talking about more of when this album came out... He was writing his FX series, Atlanta. So he was kind of starring writing and created that. And that's right when he was kind of making this record. So I think some of the similar themes kind of come in to this record and what his headspace was at, which is interesting. And a little fun fact as well is the album artwork is displayed as an Easter egg on the episode Juneteenth on that show. I actually remember that because I, I mean, I was religiously watching the show uh, every time a new episode would come out. And then I see that and then like I go into this deep dive on the Internet trying to figure out, like, <laughs> is he making yes. more music? What's going on here? Yep. Yes. Do you remember how he announced this record, Mike? I'm not 100 percent sure, but I found out from like this Joshua Tree performance and it was through like right. an app. Uh -huh. So. And it was, I, I, I can't remember exactly. You have to remind me. Yeah, he, he it wasn't really active on Twitter for a while. And then he just all of a sudden tweets out this link as pharaohs.earth. And it took you to download an app, which the app then just showed you the location of Joshua Tree, which took you to another link to buy tickets. Huh. Uh, and that kind of deep dive trail stuff got you to buy tickets for September 3rd through 5th. He did three shows in Joshua Tree. They performed this album in whole three months before they even re released this record. That's cool. Yeah. I had to miss out on that one because I was like in the like middle of a transition uh, between houses. I was like, do I spend the money on tickets? Or my house, <laughs> but yeah, I chose the oh, house. <laughs> the, the very responsible decision. Yeah. yeah, the adult decision. Yeah, I think if you like waited and didn't see it live, there was like you could watch it like three D, and it would actually like right. swivel around. Yeah, it, it's like this in this virtual reality thing. It's weird. It's really interesting. I I've, I don't ha I've never seen. Have you, any, either of you done any virtual reality thing? I've never done it. Like in the I, 90s. <laughs> Bro, yeah. yeah. I did it. I, I've done one, the headset. Someone brought it, and I, I've tried it. It's interesting. 
it'd be cool to see kind of a live show that way. Yeah. Yeah, interesting stuff. So, and then actually he even, before that, he performed Me and Your Mama, which is the first track off of this record at Bonnaroo in 2015. So like a year before the record even come out, which this album was a bit of a shock for Childish Gambino fans because his previous two records are complete just hip-hop rap records. And this one is not that at all. So for him to kind of hint that he was going in a different direction playing that song at Bonnaroo, maybe it shouldn't have been as big of a surprise, but it's still it was still a pretty big shock for a lot of the fan base. Oh, yeah. I could totally see that. I actually really enjoyed the, the change because I feel like with... Uh, like it was like a mixtape or something right before Stone Mountain Kawhi album like with four or five songs on it yeah it, and then, that transition already started to kind of happen so mm-hmm. I was ready for it yeah absolutely yeah this a welcome change for sure it definitely I mean he had so much to offer in this genre so this is a great record I'm glad he made it and it actually debuted at number five on the US Billboard 200 and it, the single Redbone won a Grammy for Best Traditional R&B Performance. So it got pretty good critical acclaim. The whole album should have won, but... Yeah. Yeah. It, it was it was nominated for Best Album, but didn't win. I didn't look up who it lost to, but do either of you remember? Mm-mm. I'm trying to think, but I mean, it's like a 75% chance it was Taylor Swift or something. Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> she wins every four years or whatever. Yeah, she'll probably win this year with her yeah. whatever yeah. one she came out with. Yeah, I don't know what it's called. I don't know either, but I, I like one song with Bon Iver on it. Oh, that one's great. <laughs> She's pandering to my demographic. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Even with the guy from The National and Bon Iver producing... I still haven't even listened to one song. <laughs> I had a friend send it to me. Yeah. She told me she told me to listen to it and I was like, oh, it's good for what it is, I guess. It's not my not really my wheelhouse. I'll have to check <laughs> it out maybe one time. That's actually how I found out about Childish Gambino as a rapper was because I was just a Donald Glover fan. I totally avoided Gambino because I was like, it's not my type of rap. But uh, my roommate, Grant, who uh, I did the podcast with, was playing one of the songs from Because of the Internet. And I was like, this song like speaks to me. This is my life. Who is this? <laughs> and he's like, it's Childish Gambino. And I was like, oh, I've been trying so hard to avoid him. <laughs> uh, and then I realized that I actually really liked him. And then from that day forward, I like went back through the discography and just became obsessed. So it's pretty funny. Yeah. I think it's easy just with him as a musician and, you know, his mind is just kind of all over the place. That's what I love about it. Absolutely. So I have one more fun fact that we definitely have to talk about before we get into our questions for this episode. And that is this album was produced and co-written by Ludwig Goransson, who 
is well known for doing the soundtrack for Black Panther and The Mandalorian. Yes, he won, I think, a Grammy for Black Panther. Yeah, this guy is mind-blowing talented. So Donald Glover is just like, this guy's got so much talent that it's unfair. And then he partners up with Ludwig, who is also just like this brilliant, mind-blowing artist. And the two of them together, it's quite the combo. Yeah, it's pretty... It's seems a little bit different than what a rapper would normally have as a producer because he's kind of more of like a does musical scores but i Uh mean it worked out because the whole album became theatrical because of that so great choice yeah i think that's why i like it too for the same reason just very theatrical well let's get into the questions for this week unless you do either of you have anything else to add to the details before we get into the questions no no Good to go. All right, let's do this. This is a departure from previous Childish Gambino releases, as we have already kind of talked about. What was your reaction when you heard this? Um, I was, like I said earlier, I was definitely ready for it because I had already been broken into him uh, at such a late stage in the game. Like, I wasn't an avid fan from his beginning. I kind of had to go back. So... Um, it not being rap really didn't turn me off. Also, just being, you know, a black man in America, like I grew up on soul, funk and stuff like that. So when I heard it, I was like, oh, he's like, he like leveled up. (laughs) So it was definitely (laughs) what I wanted to hear. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of the same thing, you know, when you first listen to even just the first song on the, the record, you're just like, whoa, okay, what is this? I wasn't ready for it, you know, it kind of took me some time to get into it, but once I started really listening to it and how well put together this album was, I was just like, wow, this is amazing. This du- this dude's so creative. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. The first song seems kind of like, when the first single of Me and Your Mama, like, was very yeah. theatrical where it was almost like an overture, so like, I knew once yeah. I heard that, I was like, oh, it's about to be a trip. <laughs> yeah. and then like of course joshua tree performance like that's exactly what he was going for <laughs> yes yeah absolutely i think i didn't really have any expectations going into this record so i don't know how shocked i was but i just took to it really quickly because of that element of funk and that to me personally just speaks to me because like my all-time favorite band as a kid is red hot chili peppers and they very nobly took from very similar inspiration as this record did so all the george clinton funkadelic parliament i i got listened to because chili peppers was influenced that so i always listened to some of those records so as soon as i heard that i was like oh yeah this is amazing like having had like a good funk soul kind of record and so many different elements to it as well so i was way into it and i know i saw interviews with should we refer to him as gambino or donald glover what what are we what are we saying (laughs) um yeah either one i guess childish yeah childish yeah 
So I saw him do an interview and he basically just said, genre is dead. Like just people want quality. So he wasn't concerned about what genre he, he didn't feel obligated to do another hip hop record. I don't think he, I mean, he's so artistic with ways he approaches all of his work from comedy to, he does the drama of Atlanta to his music. He, you can't pinhole him into anything. And I think that's what this record really speaks to of like how incredibly talented he is to expand into a completely different genre for the first time and then to execute it like he did on this record. So he also said like this record is like more about like an exercise and feeling tone uh, where the other, his other records were more well known for being like clever rhymes and stuff. So I thought that was an interesting perspective, like, and then going back and listening to just the different tones and uh, that he was trying to portray across the album. Hmm. That's cool. Yeah, I definitely think uh, this album, him as a comedian, I feel like he kind of like leveled up into like more of Shakespeare comedy where it's like very real issues and it's not like slapstick laugh out loud anymore but it's like i'm gonna draw very important issues to your attention in the most charismatic or over the top way so it's it still is comedy to me but like the original definition of that yeah i can totally yeah see that right because he has some clever lyrics in here so that you wouldn't necessarily see from maybe a more serious artist so i think some of that his background still came into this record to me this one is just like tearing down or busting through walls as far as genre is concerned which i think is hard enough to do as like a full-time musician but he's doing so many other things on top of this yeah I was wondering, like, how did he film? There was, like, a point in time where, like, Atlanta and, like, Han Solo movie and music was all being made at the same time, and I was like, I don't get it. I I don't understand (laughs) it either. And and also, I don't know if you know this, but apparently they actually recorded a full album that they didn't use. Trilish didn't really like how the album came out. And they re, I think the only song that stuck from the original one was Me and Your Mama. That's the only song from the that first album. Every, all the other songs, they had to completely redo. Well, thank goodness he didn't use it because I'm sure it yeah. wasn't as good. <laughs> yeah. Which, and he, he also said that it, he's like the whole process wasn't very fun either, which I thought was interesting. I'm assuming that it wasn't fun just because of the messages he was trying to and like what he was going through what isn't necessarily fun or easy so I'm assuming that's why but I mean a lot of the music on here sounds like it'll be a lot of fun to play and create so it's kind of surprising and and when we're talking about some of that elements that i think that was that's interesting yeah 
All right, let's go to our next question, which is this record is heavily influenced by 70s funk, soul, R&B, and rock. What influences did you notice or stood out to you? So as a little kid, like it was common in my house between my mom and my dad, like while they were cleaning up the house or, you know, cooking or whatever, there's always some kind of soul Motown funk music playing. Like my mom played all the slow jams. My dad played all like the Bootsy Collins, like funk music. So that is what immediately uh, stood out to me was how true to that era and that time period of, the, of that actual music from the 70s you know early 80s uh it sounded exactly like it like those high falsettos like it sounded like Smokey robinson so i was like wow he can do that is this like edited or is this like doctored or you know so i think just hearing his singing quality like ability was it wasn't he was just like doing something for a gimmick he was actually singing so that's what kind of took me away yeah yeah, yeah. I uh, I got into kind of funk music really weird and random. There was this movie that came out in the mid '90s called PCU, and Jeremy Piven's in it. And it's about like this college guy that just kind of goes through college doing nothing, right? And they put on a live show to raise money, and one of the the band that they got was George Clinton and the Parliament. Nice. And. You know, ever since then, I just was always kind of, like, in love with funk. And that kind of, when I was listening to this record, kind of brought me back to that, you know, just because of, you know, this album is so funky. You know, there's a lot of soul influences. He puts, he blends it so well together. You know, the soul and the funk. Oh, man, it was just, I just, this record's great. George Clinton, too, we were talking about him, like, Funkadelic and Parliament are both kind of his bands that he kind of put together, produced, and it was kind of like the two separate acts that he w- he was running and put together. Correct me if I'm wrong. If I'm wrong, but yeah, yeah, he uh, he headed up Parliament and both Funkadelic, yeah. which each had like they probably went through at least twenty to twenty five members each. So yeah. I don't know if they had any like standard musicians. I feel like it was kind of a revolving door of great, you know, musicians. It wasn't a standard group of guys. Yeah. So, so the the first time when I I listened to this, these are these are the names that popped up to me when I heard it. I heard Funkadelic, Sly and the Family Stone. Yeah. Jimi Hendrix. Prince, Stevie Wonder, Bootsy Collins. As we talk about, like George Clinton also being part of Parliament, and this is what he was going for. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. I also heard a lot of. I mean, through his performance as well when I saw him live. But James Brown, because you you can't yeah, have yeah. Bootsy Collins without James Brown right. since no. he was yeah. his bass player at one point but yeah just seeing how you know between like his crazy hairdos and being sweaty and screaming and singing until like he's about to pass out it just was definitely gave me that vibe yeah totally yeah i missed that one when we're talking about the influences throughout this record and he actually pulled directly from funkadelic from their song good to your ear hole on the song riot 
And he also pulled a sample for Redbone directly from Butchie Collins. Uh, yeah. And, I mean, it's a heavily sampled song because there's so many rap songs that I already used it a lot. Uh, so when I heard these sounds, it wasn't the first time. It, it was very much like that L.A. hip-hop sample sound, so. Yeah. Well, I, I pulled both of those clips so we can compare Childish to Bootsy or to a Funkadelic. So, Meg, is there anything that you wanted to kind of add or which one do you want to listen to first? Um, I mean, we could go with Redbone because that's like the, the hit. So we'll listen to Redbone first. Listen to Butsy. Yeah, definitely mm-hmm. uh, a small piece from the the Bootsy song, right. and Ludwig kind of just went nuts with it. Yeah. But you can you can definitely hear where those elements come from. Yeah. And since we have it, here's Riot, which is a childish song, and then we'll compare it to Funkadelics. And here's Funkadelic. There you go, yeah. Nice. Yeah, it's definitely with Riot, uh, it's a direct sample. Mm. Uh, so, <laughs> but it's, I mean, it's very much, it's given justice because that's a great song. I think it kind of set the tone for the whole album where you kind of said you wanted to, it kind of evokes like a revolution or change. I mean, the song's called Riot, so. Yes. Should we go to our next question? Are we ready for it? Sure, let's go for it. All right, so what caught your attention musically? Um, I picked up, like, right off the bat, you know, some, like, super kind of, you know, obviously funk, some soul. And like you had mentioned, I noticed I put a kind of some of the songs, the guitar kind of sounded like, Jimi Hendrix guitar very like kind of overdriven and just had that kind of Hendrix guitar sound which I really enjoyed dirty guitar I love it yeah me too also for me I was definitely like the the cinematic orchestral quality which Mm -hmm. definitely comes from uh, Ludwig's production because a lot of uh, things that I listen to outside of just the typical you know hip-hop or pop or folk music uh just listen to straight movie scores so like you know anything from like Hans Zimmer or James Horner Thomas or John Williams uh it's just like music I listen to in the background so when I heard the production of this album I was like wow it sounds like I'm watching a movie or listening to a movie score and then you know lo and behold it's because 
that's actually what the intention is behind the production. So that definitely caught my eye or my ear. Yeah. Also like a 50s kind of R&B feel in some of the stuff too. Like he's just very talented at mixing different sounds. Well, I think Ludwig got into film scores because he liked it because it wasn't tied to a genre. I think he also really shares that genre is dead mentality because for me, I also heard like each song has so many different layers to it and each song, like there wasn't, there was some songs that was like, yeah, that's complete like boogeyman and even like have some love. It was like very much more funk. And there's other songs that had no funk in it at all. It was much more soul and R and B. You couldn't peg this record as just one of those genres it's because each song was so different i was actually i found a youtube video of ludwig breaking down uh redbone and how he created it i was really fascinating that's a good one did you either of you see this Um, yeah Mm -hmm. he like used basically every instrument in the studio (laughs) i was like wow and, and he's like handwriting, which I really appreciate. He's handwriting so, like the music, which is amazing. And then some of the things, uh, Chris, because I know you're a gear nut. He So he used on the Redbone, he used a vintage Telecaster. Yeah. And then he used a G2 rhythm and sound effects unit, which is an old kind of pedal from 1968 and it was very much heavily used by Jimi Hendrix. So yep, that correlation there, I mean, the Jimi Hendrix comparison isn't accidental. Like they're very much were trying to do that Jimi Hendrix sound. And then he would go into computer. He had like, he used like an Echo Boy triplet delay to add some stuff to extra layers into it. Um, he had like a plugin that added more of a vintage style that had some more delays and echoes to the guitar work. And then they use clavinet, which is like an electric version of a medieval European keyboard, which is heavily used by Stevie Wonder. And he used that in his music in the 70s. So yeah. I thought that that video, if you're interested in gear or just how Ludwig thinks which also there's a great documentary of ludwig talking about his work on the mandalorian on disney plus which is another that episode blew my mind and how brilliant ludwig is anytime he's breaking down music he actually did he did a break breakdown of black panther as well which is equally fascinating so it's cool that he does some of the shows his process a bit yeah, he even used a Glockenspiel um, yeah, on did. Redbone. I'm like, yeah. what do you even use that for? <laughs> My roommate used to have one. I was like, what's yeah, the purpose? Because you can. Yeah, because yeah. you can. You have it in the studio. Might as well try it. Yeah. That, Why that's not? Like, <laughs> yeah. It's so funny because he's like has like all these like vintage guitars and pedals. And then it looks like... And then we go to the Glockenspiel. It looks like he has like a little kid's toy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But it, it like it works and it's like it adds it added to the song. It wasn't. I think that's another thing that is interesting about musically about this is he has like all these different elements to this. And even in the boogeyman, there's 
Similarly, we talked with Chris, I don't know if you remember on our Radiohead album, we talked about there's like a shaker, just like one part of the song, and it like disappears. Yeah. And that happened on this record as well. There, I Very distinctly, there was like a cowbell on one part of that song, and it, ne- it happened once and never again. It was definitely Will Ferrell. <laughs> it was like, I got you guys. One cowbell. Yeah. Just- just one though. He snuck yeah. into the studio really quick, and then he took him right out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't be put it past uh, Ludwig if he used like a Fisher Price like baby's toy or something too, like for <laughs> one of these songs. Yeah, but the Mandalorian, all that whole amazing music, the theme song he recorded on these really obscure recorders. Oh wow! Huh. I did not know like that. The, the ones we use like we're in elementary yeah. school yeah the elementary school recorders is like that main theme they're just like bass and like bigger versions of it that made that different tones so he completely has this and same with black panther he i mean he does his research and he knows not just the music the editing but he knows has such a deep knowledge of what's the right instrument to use at the right time that's yeah, amazing. I can see that. I definitely didn't do that with my recorder. <laughs> yeah, no, I didn't either. I was when I saw that, I was like, I need some of those recorders. Those sound awesome. But then what am I going to use that for? And then I decided not to. <laughs> just, so, just so I can play the Mandalorian theme. That's the only reason why I would need those recorders. <laughs> so what, one element, actually, this is a question for both of you. There's a maniacal laugh across three different tracks on this record. So it shows up on Me and Your Mama, Boogeyman, and Terrified. I thought that was interesting. I want to hear what you all thought, if you noticed it or if you had any thoughts on why that was used. I would go with probably just, it's kind of just reminiscent of the that funk era and those jam yeah. bands yeah. that play for hours on end. You know, they just let out a scream every now and then. <laughs> definitely when he performed live he did it kind of more frequently so yeah and i was kind of looking back through live videos and same thing you know he's he goes crazy when he plays live you know and it's kind of happens well this one the one that i'm referring to isn't it childish as someone else it's like a very deep like laugh oh maybe it's the boogeyman yeah yeah, I mean, I, I guess it could be. I don't know. He was kind of going for, like, creepy out, like, weird-type vibe in, in some of the songs. So I think that definitely a maniacal, deep maniacal laugh definitely will, will bring that across. I thought it was a cool, because you don't necessarily have an audio clip that will show up multiple times in random different ways. So I thought that was an interesting element that caught my attention. I definitely would say uh, between those like creepy laughs and like the ambient sounds and even just the cover of the album, like be very careful if you plan on uh, fully immersing yourself in the psychedelic (laughs) genre (laughs) because it can get intense. So I've heard (laughs) if you know what I mean. Oh, man. I, I I don't know what you mean, actually. Can you tell me? 
We never will. <laughs> so, I mean, the last thing before we move on to our next question that I noticed musically is Gambino. He changes his vocal style on across the record. He sings very differently. And some people thought he used like a pitch machine. And he said, nope, I didn't use that. I just sung differently. What what do you all think of like his different singing kind of approach that he used across the record? I feel like it's just like a stunt on all the haters. Like, <laughs> yeah. like I can not only rap, but yeah. I can hit every yeah. uh, octave that you yeah. can, possibly could think of. Yeah, I can definitely sing too. Because huh, it, it was kind of a shock when you first listen to this record. You're like, oh. He's singing. Yeah. He's so talented. <laughs> yeah. Bums me out. I'm like, gosh, do everything. <laughs> like the groups in like the 50s and 60s, like Temptations and stuff, where they'd have yeah. the five guys that Isley all seem different. Yeah. yeah Instead of having five guys, it's just him. Yeah. You know, singing yeah. all the falsettos and yeah. baritones. He's like, here, hold my beer. I'll just do it all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Save some money. Yeah. And then I'll act in the music video. I'll produce <laughs> it. I'll write it. I'll just pretty much do everything. Sustainability. While I'm writing and producing like, and starring yeah, in my own show. TV show. And yeah. I'm also in a major Star Wars movie all at yeah, the same I'm time. I'm also Lando Calrissian. You know, it's kind of a big deal. Yeah. Which, I mean, he had to put so much research into nailing that performance, which he did. Uh, man, it, yeah. it's amazing what he accomplished, considering just this record and then everything else he was doing at the same time. Yeah. I do not know how he had the time to do this. And on top of this, he had kids like right around the same. He, he had like his first kid when he had this re- started recording this record. So <laughs> he became a parent. He's doing all this stuff. Yeah. Writing his time producing. management's out of control. Yeah. I don't think he probably slept for a good year. He was he definitely drinking whatever The Rock was drinking because like that guy also <laughs> is in like every movie and a TV show. I don't know. I don't know how they do it. Some people can do that, you know. Some people are multitasking kings. That's not me. <laughs> yeah, I'm like stressed out working from home, and I'm like waking up at like <laughs> nine. <laughs> Well, speaking of the scening, let's talk about the lyrics. So what stood out lyrically on this record? For me, like, obviously, I think this record kind of, as you re- like listen to it, and I don't know if you guys are like me, but you'll read the lyrics maybe the first couple times through when you're listening to an album just to kind of understand it more. And it just, you know, very heavy record talks about a lot of very important issues, I think, you know, and... For me, the song that stuck out was uh, Riot. Mm-hmm. was a song that was pretty crazy. Yeah. Talking about, you know, something's happening. You know, this world don't feel right. All right. Just the heaviness of this record lyrically, too. You know, I think that the music kind of was a little lighter at times. But then you listen to the lyrics and you're like, whoa, this is some pretty heavy stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely was taken like on a journey with the lyrics because like, his rap before was just very like cocky or 
angsty where it was coming from like a place of like the suburbs which is kind of where i grew up so i related yeah, to that too, too. Mm-hmm. but then with uh, Waking My Love, it was, I will say that for the first couple of songs, especially with like Riot and Boogeyman and stuff like mm-hmm. that, I kind of got a little depressed because I was like, man, this is too real. Like, I don't yeah. want to have to deal with this as, uh, you know, being a black man in America. But it all comes together with once you get to those last two tracks, which one is just kind of instrumental, and then you go into uh, Stand Tall. And that one kind of had this sound where it just sounds like there's like a little glimmer of hope uh and then mm. those lyrics especially just really spoke to me because it was it was things that my parents had actually said to me in real life so to hear you know keep all your dreams keep standing tall you like you know smile when you can like i was like wow this is actually like a real mantra that i could like live by so it definitely spoke to me yeah that was nice that it ends on this hopeful note and i pulled that clip for you so we can listen to that real fast here stand tall keep all your dreams keep standing tall if you are strong you cannot fall there is a voice inside our soul so smile yeah I mean, and that goes goes on and on. Like he just keeps getting more, you know, louder and and theatrical with it throughout the song. And it kind of just just as much as me and your mama was an overture. This was whatever the opposite of an overture is. <laughs> I'm not I'm not the uh, theater savvy, so I don't know. But yeah, definitely closed out the album. Yeah, that that stood out to me as well, Mike. That that last track and that positive message and heard childish kind of talk about that and how he got that message from his father and he actually said i think he said it was like a snowy day and someone had just like stolen his big wheels because he like left it outside it's interesting and he still has this like kind of vivid memory of of that and to kind of pay tribute to to that message that he got from his father i think is definitely a nice hopeful message at the end yeah is and uh i'd actually saw him perform i was supposed to go to this performance in december of like last year or not last year 2018 um but then once i got to see him at coachella it was very emotional because like his father actually recently passed away right so getting to that song and like him singing it of course he's kind of emotional and then the whole crowd is like feeling it so it was it was definitely like awesome to see that he had a song that paid homage to his relationship with his father, you know, and uh, was able to perform it, you know, in his honor. Yeah, I, I guess he, when his dad wasn't doing good, he asked him, he's like, oh, you want to hear some of the songs that I'm working on? And he said, no, I already know that they're great. <laughs> wow, that's cool. Yeah, it's a good, good thing for a dad to say. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> nah, like, these are terrible. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, that's that's a heartwarming song for sure. For me, lyrically, that that song stood out to me. Boogeyman with the socially conscious kind of lyrics, it, it definitely hits you. At this is an important record, not just genre wise, but 
message wise as well is, is very important for what it means to be a black person in this world. Mm-hmm. It takes you back for sure. Cause I mean, when you first like listen to it, I'm a music first person, not lyrics first person so i hear like the funk and i was like oh man this is such my i love this but then you like sit back and you hear what he's talking about i was like oh man yeah this is this is uh some important information that he is trying to portray with it and a lot of emotion behind it as well that really stood out to me and then also some interesting things about his lyrics as well he paid like kind of homage with some of his lyrics being like similar to there's a part that he kind of pays homage to Smokey Robinson. There's like a very similar lyric he kind of pulled from one of his old songs. He also pulled a kind of a lyric or paid homage to Outkast. That's like one of his Andre 3000 was one of his favorite artists that he looks up to. So he can't pay homage to that. He also paid homage to Jimi Hendrix and he kind of, it's not like a direct line, but it's like very sim- similar sentiment. So like in Jimi Hendrix's song, if six was nine, the lyric was, if the sun refused to shine. And then on Stand Tall, it's when the sun is rising over streets so barren. So kind of similar, but not directly. So every part of this record that goes back to the pain respects and just trying to bring back that 70s black music that he was trying to kind of create. It comes down to every single element, the the guitars, the, the arrangement, the vocals, the lyrics, every part. He's not a person that just goes in and kind of jams. I, I don't feel like he, he's very, I come across that he's very intentional with everything that he does. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. What surprised you the most on this record? Um, I think for what surprised me the most was, uh, especially just being like a, I was always like the only black kid in my class at most of my schools growing up in like a suburban conservative town. Uh, And so I was very early on, I had to just be myself or try to figure out what identity that I wanted to portray and just own that because you know, nobody else is going to be doing exactly what I was doing. So when this album came out and he was kind of completely just shift gears on everyone, I was like, whoa, he's taking a real, like, you know, Andre 3000 type approach where it's just like being very much himself. And if it's a little, if it's a little theatrical, if it's a little outlandish, if it's a little different than the norm or genre, genre bending, uh, he didn't really care. So I I really took to that because I think it's just so important to, to be able to own who you are individually. And instead of just being, you know, a rapper or a hip hop artist or a actor turned musician, he very much let everyone know like, oh, I'm Childish Gambino and this is how Childish Gambino does it. Uh, however, which way I want to. Homages, rap, soul, funk. It's all coming together. Rock, you know, or orchestra. I think what surprised me was just how well he encompassed so many different styles of music into one album. It's not easy to go in to write an album, right? And then we 
have all these different ideas and to kind of make it just sound so fluid, you know, with soul, you know, some of the songs had more of a soul feeling. And then these tracks with these crazy guitar parts and big theatrical parts, like you were saying, you know, that's what surprised me the most, how well he tied all of that together mm-hmm. on this album. Yeah, I guess that's credit to hats off to Ludwig as well. Yeah, definitely. Childish. For, for me, the, the thing that just surprised me the most on this record was the guitar work. Like, I was not expecting the guitar work to be this this way at all or that or this prominent within childish's music and then to have it some of those like very some of the songs are very Jimi Hendrix-esque and I haven't heard someone tackle a Jimi Hendrix sound successfully and uh I, I mean I couldn't I can't even name an artist really so to tackle a Jimi Hendrix level guitar work on this record when he was doing hip hop and rap music beforehand. And then he's tackling so many other things, but yeah, that the guitar work I think on this record is what surprised me the most. Yeah. And then I forgot. I also, um, baby boy, like the keyboard parts or whatever the piano or whatever he's playing on that was really cool. Just goes to show, you know, when you have tons of instruments in your recording studio, you can get really creative with it, you know? Yeah. yeah I, I'm obsessed with, like, that Rhodes oh, keyboard Rhodes, sound. Rhodes sound is amazing. It's one of my favorite. I've always wanted a Rhodes piano. I I wanted one, and then I was, saw how heavy it was, and I was like, that's oh, not going to work. Yeah, <laughs> they're also, from what I've been looking into, very finicky and very touchy. Oh. Uh, yeah, like... But just that sound, he, he's he yeah. that whole the whole album just is a great you know musical journey. I think he even uses flute on "Stand Tall," if I'm not mistaken. I mean, there's a wouldn't very surprise good me. chance. Yeah. <laughs> All right, what is your favorite track on this record? I put uh, "Riot," just super funky great guitar sound you know same thing just the guitar sounds he was getting on this record was just great yeah like that's all i wanted to listen to i'm like ooh, that's fun that that sounds like a cool little part so and you know obviously the lyrics on that album like i talked about earlier or on that song sorry just i think that's my favorite track on this record yeah the chorus on that song was reminding me a little bit of stevie wonder yeah yeah I actually chose Riot as well. So nice. nice choice. Yeah, nice. <laughs> yeah, it's just one of those things where there's so much in that song that it's just fun to listen to. I'm always picking up new little things. Yeah, uh, when I heard it live, that's what really like solidified it as my favorite. Because I don't know if it was longer. I don't know if you know they. Because you know sometimes live versions are gonna be they're gonna jam a little. You yeah. know, have some solos and stuff so it definitely felt longer but it just it it definitely took me away especially with the lyrics like no good fighting um you know we're out of captains really hit me because it just seems like a a conversation to the you know the black community being without like a true leader 
and like mm-hmm. everyone just wants a better life so i was like wow this is it's like explaining the reason for a riot like it's not just without without yeah. reason like yeah. it's just people really hurt trying to look for an answer look for a better life so i was like wow it's not just a good song it's like a, a yeah, great powerful poem as well mm-hmm. what about you sean for me i went with boogeyman it was my favorite it was just like the funkadelic sound to that the bass work the whole song together and like the layered vocals just brought me back to some of the that funk music that kind of red hot chili peppers introduced me to back when i was listening to them in the 90s and then the message with in that song too i think is really important and matter kind of what race you are this is something that an individual is going through and how they feel they are perceived by the police in this instance and it this was written like you feel like this song was with everything that's going on was written this year but it was written four years ago and it was paying homage to issues that were going on in the 70s it just everything about this song the music and the message gave me all the feels so that is that was my favorite track on the record absolutely nice yeah if if a song is relevant like in 1972 and also relevant in 2020 like we definitely have a problem yeah yeah (laughs) like we need to we need to like fast track some progress here yeah which a a nice little plug for your show mike if you're interested in some of those hard pressing topics that's going on please check out mike's podcast it it is so good he you do a great job talking about some of those hard issues thank you yeah go i go a little little into a little deeper crazy but (laughs) it's all warranted based on what's going on in the world yeah well, uh, are we ready for the last question of the day? Sure, let's go for it. All right. So we wrap up every episode, Mike, with the same question, and that question is, best time and place to listen? Hands down, you have the best time and place to listen to this music is live, but I know that's not always doable, especially right now. But uh, <laughs> if not, when you're like just in your house and you're in your, like, your space i feel like this is just such a great album to turn on on like a saturday morning sunday morning you're cleaning the house you're hanging out with family kids are playing a living room or whatever uh because it's it's universal enough that it's not you know it's not these vulgar lyrics it's not this this crazy outlandish sound or anything it's it's very pleasing to be background music just as much as it is to like sit there and intently listen Right. So we have the the actual record at our house, and every now and then we'll just pop it on when everyone's home and just you know in the kitchen because we're just like it's it's just such a a mood setter. Oh yeah, that's kind of the exactly what I said. You know, put on a nice pair of headphones and just zone out, really enjoy the record. You know, or in the car, I found myself coming home from work, I'd pop it on, and like you said, either background and you know listen to the music and jam out or if you pay attention to lyrics and really kind of analyze the lyrics it's like wow you know definitely a headphones 
on listening to it for me. Yeah. For me, it was more uh, afternoon record. And that I think all what you're saying is, is true. Is like it, it's good. It could be pleasing background music or it could be a great way to kind of pump up and jam out something to get you grooving a little bit whether you're just finishing out your work day or you're getting ready for a night out whatever it is but i could totally see this being a great live music as well granted with everything that's going on who knows but also just with childish in general will he even come back to this music ever again you never quite know if he will because i feel like he has so much to offer in this world but he probably is moved on it's like a a chapter in his his life that he might not ever go back to yeah yeah i, I don't know i mean i'd like to see him come out with another funk record that'd be great yeah, maybe he could do a movie too, where he's just a funk artist, and oh, that'd he's be just great. A, a whole album like soundtrack that's made for that movie, and then we bring Lewid back, and it's all set. Yeah, oh, that'd be wonderful. That would be awesome. So I, I think the other part to answer this question for me is this music is inspired by seventies black music. I think. Part of the best part of listening to this album is either bringing back those memories like Mike that you had as a kid, or if you're not familiar with it, hopefully it's like a history lesson and you go back and you listen to some of that music that, I mean, some amazing artists that were playing back then, this very revolutionary sound and messages that all kind of paired together i hope that is part of this for me a uh, best time and place to listen is not just having the time to listen to this record but then going back and listening to the music that i was inspired by absolutely you don't even have to be a fan of childish gambino to enjoy this album because it's such a departure from his original stuff so yeah i think it's it's just cool to check out any type of artist that has these kind of same producers or production so you know whether it's Childish Gambino or you're listening to Radiohead like I think it's great to listen to music for its lyrics and its music and not just for who's performing it if that makes sense yeah definitely it's definitely a record that I think can teach people some things you know just not from a musical like you know there's just so much music out there that we can all explore you know, and when you take a relevant artist like him, who is obviously influenced by funk, soul, and brings that into a record, that gives his new audience that maybe only new, you know, only likes rap music. They can be like, huh, this is cool. And maybe this gets them into Funkadelic or The Parliament or, you know, Bootsy. And it's pretty cool when, you you know, you're an artist and you can say, oh, cool, you started listening to all these other artists because of me. You know, that's cool. Yeah. You know, and I like when artists in, are influenced heavily by other styles of music. It 
opens your eyes to something different. And I think that's really cool. Absolutely. See how connected every all music is. Yeah. Actually. Definitely. I mean, this podcast has helped me do that a lot. I think there's a lot of elements within an album that I probably would have glossed like right over if I didn't sit down and be intentional and listen to it from like start to finish and dive into the lyrics a little bit further than I normally do. So it's a journey that I really am glad we took on this show. This is a great record and continue to listen to this album as well as, I mean, I was blaring some Jimi Hendrix this morning for my kids to listen to. Nice. Slowly planting the seeds. Yeah, that's great. There you go. Starting with the classics. Yep. That good stuff. All right. Well, thank you so much, Mike. It's a pleasure having you on the show. Yeah, thank you for having me. This was great. Great conversation. Yeah, it, it definitely was. I really enjoyed it, and hopefully we'll have you back on a future episode and we'll talk about something different. Yes, I'm down. We can just do just straight gangster rap next time. Though. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe like Ariana Grande. I don't know. I have a wide range of things I like. <laughs> or we could do uh, the new Taylor Swift album that's coming out. In- Absolutely not. <laughs> yeah, I, I like I said, you know, it's, I could try. She gets enough reviews. Yeah. Not not that I don't like her music. She just has enough reviews. We don't need that. Uh, yeah, no one needs that. All right. Well, on our next episode, we are going to be discussing the Avit Brothers and their latest release, The Third Gleam. That's great. I'm looking forward to to it. I'm always looking forward to it, even if it's something I'm not really super familiar with. You know, it's always fun to dive into something you're uncomfortable with yeah absolutely well once again thank you mike we appreciate you yes thanks thank you well until next time i'm sean and i'm chris and we're album worms 